is night number 18, and uh, we welcome you. We're so glad that each one of you are joining us tonight uh, for the sacrament of Holy Communion, and then also on this 18th day of our 21-day communion fast. I want to welcome everyone who's watching tonight. If you're watching us live, we've got Gene and Graham and Linda, uh, so many others that are watching, Mary, Deborah, all of you guys, Cindy, Gail, Joyce, all of y'all, we appreciate you watching. Elizabeth, we thank you for watching and jumping in each night. So we really appreciate that. But you also may be watching uh, the recorded version, or you may be listening to it on our podcast, An Awakening Mosaic. So wherever you're getting this, on any of our platforms, we welcome you, and we're delighted, and thank you for joining us. And so I want to jump in tonight. I want to talk about a turning point for global awakening. Now, part of the reason why I'm ministering about this tonight is I began the other day to hear a minister talk about that he believed that our nation had reached a tipping point where we may never return to being a vital Christian nation at our core uh, again. And when he said that, it seemed very despairing in my spirit because his point was he felt like that we have already gone too far. We've reached that tipping point and that we are at a moment of no return. Look, I know the days we're living in are dire, but I want you to know that I also believe that in fact, we may be at the turning point for America's greatest awakening, and in fact, the world's greatest revival. I remember a number of years ago, and I shared this with you a few nights ago, but it's still relevant. It's still real for me. I'm still passionate about this because I know how this word came to me. And the Holy Spirit said to me one night that he was going to begin to release a revelation of the Father's heart. Now, you may say, Brother Rick, we've already heard you talk about that in this 21-day fast. Look, I'm not going to go into it again as I have previously, but I do want you to say, I do want you to know that I believe at the core of my conviction that there is a moment in time when we must return to the revelation of the Word of God, the revelation of the Father's heart. It is the Father's heart that gave up his only begotten son. It was the father's heart that surrendered him to the cruelty of the cross. It was the father's heart that chose to, to love the world with a radical, infinite, unconditional love, when in fact, man had rebelled and resisted him at every single level. So I, I, I want to remind you tonight, part of why we do the communion fast at the beginning is symbolically and significantly, we must come back to the core rudimentary or fundamental foundational principles of the Word of God. And I present to you tonight that there's no more fundamental principle of all of the Word of God than the revelation of the Father's heart, not the Father's head, but His heart. 
in how much he loves you and me and all of mankind, every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every color. And friend, it's not the Spirit of God that seeks to divide us, but in fact, it is carnal men who for self-aggrandizing purpose seek to divide men that they might control them. And so I want you to know that that revelation came to me very uh, intimately and personally, and it made it really, really very clear that there is a revelation of the Father's heart that is necessary for us to move forward. Now, on the day that I received that revelation, I felt like the Lord said that out of the revelation of the Father's heart, he would release the fire of his holiness. Now, his holiness is not a standard. His holiness is the conviction of his core. It is the essence of who God is. Friend, God is love. And we know tonight that the fire of his holiness is the fire of his love. The fire of his love for a lost generation, for a wandering generation, for a generation that's vacillating on the brink of chaos and today is living in utter confusion. But I want you to know that when we have revelation of the Father's heart, he will release the fire of his holiness. And then the third thing is I believe that in this awakening, we're going to begin to see, we're going to begin to reap the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen reaped before. I believe it's going to be a grand end-time harvest of God. And so that's why we're beginning that class on Wednesday night, February 1. It's only going to be four nights long. So it's not going to be a long, drawn-out class. But I want you to know that we're going to begin to give you opportunity tomorrow night to register for that if you would like. We're going to do it live right here on uh, the Zoom. But we will also... Uh, make it available later on on our YouTube channel. So here's what we're contending for. A, 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 a revelation of the Father's heart. Through that revelation comes the releasing of the fire of his holiness. And through the fire of his holiness, we will begin to see an end time harvest released in a manner and in a measure unlike we have ever known. By the way, the Lord Jesus Christ revealed intimately and personally what neither the law nor the prophets could reveal. Hear what, I, hear what I'm saying to you right now. The Lord Jesus Christ in his life and ministry, in his death, burial, resurrection, and in his ascension, and in the giving of the Holy Ghost. I want you to know tonight that Jesus revealed to us Jesus revealed to us what neither the law in its fullness nor all of the prophets combined could ever reveal to us. And that is Jesus reveals to us the pure, purposeful, and passionate heart of the Father for lost and broken humanity. So tonight, I want to take a few moments. I want to share with you three principles on a turning point for global awakening. And as we do this, I want to remind you again of this incredible story of Jairus and this amazing story that we love so much uh, out of the New Testament, Luke chapter 8, 
of the story of Jairus. Maybe we'll just turn over there for a moment. And I'm not going to read a lot of the passage because I know it's familiar to many of you, but I want to encourage you to spend some time in the Gospels in this spring, in the winter and spring months. But set your heart, set a Bible uh, reading program to read through the Gospels in the the, uh, the 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 latter part of the winter and the spring months. It's amazing time within the first quarter of the year to uh, read through the Gospels. And by the way, I may put a reading um, a schedule together that we'll present to you all tomorrow night that will give us all a really good opportunity to read through the Gospels between now and the end of spring. When is that? Is that really about the end of um, uh, maybe uh, March or April? And so I'll put that reading schedule together where uh, you can see that. And so I, I want to encourage you in this amazing story of Jairus. And I told the story the other night, so I'm not going to take the time to go back and read all of that again. But suffice to say, it really is an incredible story. And one of the things that I love about Jairus, and I mentioned this the other night, that we find in that story that he was really a man that was operating in two realms of authority. One was a natural realm. The other was the realm of the spirit or a spiritual realm. Look, can I tell you tonight that every one of us are operating right now simultaneously in two realms of authority. One is the realm of a natural realm. The other is in the realm of the spirit. Here's what I mean by that. Jairus was a natural man, but he was also the ruler of the synagogue. Now, as a natural man and father, he was longing to bring his daughter, who was dying and in fact did die, he was longing to bring her into the revelation of the covenant. And yet in the same passage, he had the woman with the issue of blood who had been to everybody she could to get healed and none could help her. She had spent everything she had and had no more to spend. And yet Jairus, as the ruler of the synagogue, as a natural father, he had the responsibility to bring his daughter in. But as the ruler of the synagogue, because the woman with the issue of blood was bleeding, then he had the responsibility to keep her out of the synagogue because she would have been considered unclean. So Jairus was operating in two realms of authority. And let me say to you tonight, every one of us are operating in two realms of authority. Now, here's a, a good way that sometimes I like to illustrate that. I have seen people who wanted to travel the world in ministry. I've seen people that wanted to do missions. They wanted to build orphanages. They wanted to travel overseas. They felt a call to evangelism. They felt a call to travel. They felt a call and a compelling of the Spirit to do a great work for God. But they were never able to do it. Why? Because their natural life was out of order while they were trying to live in a realm of spiritual authority. Can I tell you tonight that those two realms, natural authority, spiritual authority, those two realms are like hinges on a door. 
And when one of those hinges is broken, the door will never open correctly. But when those two hinges are rightly aligned and the door is affixed to them as it should be, then that door will open and close very freely and perfectly as it is designed. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord right now is bringing us into a place where we are in alignment with the natural man and the spiritual man. As a matter of fact, it's what the Bible calls holiness. So what I want you to know is a lot of people desire to do a great work for God spiritually, but their natural life is out of order. And some people whose natural life is in order lack the burden or the discipline or the alignment to do a great spiritual work. So God is trying to align both the natural and the spirit. Now, let's not forget that it was Paul who said that we would be ministers to body, soul, and spirit. So the three of those operating in a synchronization of the Holy Ghost is critical for us to be effective and powerful. It matters that that my body prosper even as my soul prospers, that my life prospers even as my soul prospers, and as my spirit prospers. So what I want you to know, it matters that the natural man and the spirit man, and of course you know that I'm saying that gender inclusive. It, it matters that we be a natural woman and a spiritual woman who are rightly aligned in agreement together. So what we find in Jairus is that he was a natural father pursuing while he was a spiritual man guarding. And so in this passage, we find a father pursuing. Now, I believe one of the great signs of the turning point for global awakening in your life and in mine, in your home and in mine, in your ministry and in ours in your neighborhood and in mine, in your city and mine, your nation and mine. One of the key ingredients that's so important is that we be rightly aligned naturally and spiritually, that we can maximize our influence and our effort in the earth. So really think about this for a moment. Jairus was a man living in two spheres of influence. Now look, I've known ministers who were very effective ministers in the spirit, but yet they could not govern or lead their own home. And I have met others who could lead their own home, but they lack the spiritual discipline to be effective in their ministry. So one of the things that I love in this season about Jairus is that he was a man who had learned to minister from two spheres of influence. Now, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in your life to not put one at the priority over the other. Look, the two realms of your authority, the realms of your natural authority and the realms of your spiritual authority are like the hinges on the door that's on the room wherever you're at right now. Those two hinges make that door swing open or closed perfectly, completely as it's designed to. 
And so what I want you to encourage you is a turning point for global awakening or personal revival is when we are in agreement with ourselves about the two spheres of influence, natural and spiritual. Now, the other thing we see in that is Jairus saw in this passage two miracles. Now, now go with me on this a moment. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. He was not of the priestly order. He might be what some would refer to, some would say he's the lead pastor. Others would say he's the head deacon. Maybe he's the lead elder in the church, whatever he is. But he's the person in the church that it's a full-time ministry for him. And when people think of the local synagogue, Jairus is the man they think of because he's the ruler. The Greek word is archon. So he's literally the arch, uh, uh, arching over authority for the synagogue. He had a natural daughter and a and a and a and a woman with an issue of blood. Um, in that passage, one he was bringing in naturally his daughter, and the other he had to guard out because she was bleeding. But in this passage, when he had both realms of authority, y'all wish I'd quit doing this. Is this distracting? Sometimes I feel it's distracting to me. But when both of those realms of authority are, I'm, I'm probably not going to quit, am I? Uh, but no, Liz said no. But look, here's the deal. When those two hinges are, are fastened properly to the door of my life, then my door will open and close as it is perfectly designed to. So that when it's time to go, I go. When it's time to stay, I stay. And I understand my assignment and I move into that. Now, in this, not only did Jairus have two spheres of influence, but he had two miracles. He witnessed two miracles. Now, the first miracle he witnessed, guess what? Was in the natural realm. He saw his daughter raised from the dead, right? So he saw a miracle in that natural realm. Look, he saw a miracle in that sphere of influence that he had a responsibility over. Now, you may say, all of my responsibility for miracles rests in my spiritual sphere or my spiritual authority. Not so with Jairus. The miracle that he saw, probably the greatest miracle of his life, who could deny that? He's a father. She's his only daughter. And watch, she's his only child. So guess what? She is his inheritance, right? So when Jairus was warring, he was warring over his inheritance. And here he had the two spheres of authority. But the first greatest miracle of his life that he ever saw was his own daughter being raised from the dead. And that miracle was in the natural sphere of his authority. Can I tell you something? There are a lot of people who believe that God, that it's not really a miracle unless it happens uh, in a realm outside of my natural authority. God wants to do a miracle in your family, just like he did in Jairus's family. And look, sometimes we don't see more miracles in the natural realms of our authority because we're not governing or managing or stewarding our natural environment well. Jennifer shared with me a great quote the other day. 
and to be honest, I don't even know where she got it now. She she may reference it here in the notes. But, oh, I know where it was. She heard a Miles Monroe. Man, was he not a loss to the kingdom of God and to the earth? Only God knows. But I love to listen to Miles Monroe. But he said, watch this. He, he said in one of his teachings, and Jennifer, correct me if I get this wrong, but what he said was, what we don't manage well, we lose. And if you have lost something, your best way to recover it is to begin to manage it well again. And what is he, what is he talking about? He's talking about managing it well in the realm of our natural authority. Look, nobody is going to manage your finances for you unless you pay them to do it. Nobody's going to manage your schedule unless you do. Well, but you can pay somebody else to put your schedule together, but unless you discipline the schedule they put together for you, here's what I'm saying to you. You're in control of your money. You're in control of your schedule. You're in control of your passion, your choices, your life, your body. You are in charge of it. And and, and many people believe, well, I just believe God's going to take care of all of that. He's a good and gracious father, no doubt about that. But what I want you to know is we have a responsibility to steward, govern, or manage our natural sphere of influence well. We have a need to steward it well. Why? Because when we steward it well, that's where the miraculous can occur. Jairus governed the natural realm and saw his daughter raised from the dead. Now, I, 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 my heart is to go into that a little bit deeper, but I, I can't see the comments. And I, to be honest, I don't even know if anybody is really tracking with me or not. But I'm just saying to you, a lot of people want to be so spiritually minded, they're of no earthly good. And some people believe that it doesn't matter how they spend their money or what they do with their body or their lives, because God's going to take care of it, you know, and almost any service. You can say that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, and everybody go, whoo But it's another thing to govern the natural realm of your finances into a place of obedience and blessing and generosity so that you can sow the seed and live out the dynamic fruitfulness, and generosity of the kingdom of God. But a lot of people say, well, look, if I take, if I just take care of the spiritual, God will take care of the natural. Look, you've got a, you've got a responsibility. I've got a responsibility to steward and govern my natural man as certainly as I do my spiritual man. Right? Okay. All right. Is that enough of that? Do I move on past that? Are y'all with me? What we don't manage well, we lose. Thank you, Mary Lynn. I was waiting for somebody to repost that. What we don't manage well, we lose. Think about that. If you don't money, you manage, manage your money well, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. It's going to disappear. Look, and here's the other thing. You know, our lifestyles are built on what we manage, not what we receive. <clears throat> Let me say that again. Our lifestyle is built. Uh, our lifestyle is built on what we manage, not what we receive. 
And so I want you to know, and somebody said I was frozen. So I, I don't know if I'm frozen to everybody. Somebody please let me know. And and I'll I'll bail out of this because I don't know. I saw Mary Lynn a moment ago. So I'm hoping you guys may still be with me. Not sure. So he saw the miracle of his natural born daughter. And then he saw the second miracle he saw was in the realm of the, the spiritual realm. So look, it may seem to us a harsh thing that he couldn't allow the woman of the issue of blood in the synagogue. I'm not here to look back and judge the actions of generations who've gone before us. And, and, and I, I don't have the responsibility to judge Jairus based on the way he was disciplining and leading the synagogue in his day and time. But what I'm saying to you is he governed his natural man and he governed the spiritual man. And guess what? He saw a dynamic miracle in each of those realms. In the natural realm, his daughter was raised from the dead. In the spiritual realm, guess what? The woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She interrupted Jesus' procession on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Watch this. Had the woman with the issue of blood not delayed Jesus, it may be that Jesus would have arrived at the house before the daughter had died. But maybe because of the delay, the daughter died. But look, whether the daughter was sick or dead, it doesn't minimize Jesus's ability to work the supernatural in the life of the young girl. And so in this passage, we see two spheres of influence, natural, spiritual. We see two miracles, a daughter and a woman with the issue of blood. And 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 it is incredible. There's Aunt Nell. So I know we're good. Elizabeth Gerard said amen. So thank you very much. Uh, the other thing I want you to see is that the daughter represented inheritance and the woman with the issue of blood, she represents potential. Now, let, let me just say this. When you govern your natural man well, you're stewarding your inheritance. When you govern your spiritual man well, you are governing your potential. See, I've known a lot of people who had a lot of potential spiritually, but they didn't know how to govern their natural life. I've seen a lot of people over our life and ministry span who had powerful anointings, for ministry and for service, but they had no control or discipline or management over their natural life. And so in this passage, we see that, that, that Jairus was moving in both of these. Why? Because the spiritual man represents your potential and your natural man represents your inheritance. So we must learn to manage our natural man and our spiritual man with the same degree of passion and concern. Why? Because miracles happen in both. And by the way, somebody asked the other night, we teach a little bit more on the king priest anointing. Look, let me just give this to you. Right here, we see a beautiful representation of the king priest anointing. As king, watch, as king in the natural man, Jairus was operating wherein he produced by his actions and his faith, he saw produced a supernatural miracle in his daughter that she was raised from the dead. Why? 
because he was stewarding the sphere of his natural man or his his uh, inheritance, and there he was operating in a kingly anointing. It's interesting to me that when Jairus knew Jesus was coming to town, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus disrobed, I'm, I'm sorry, not Jesus, Jairus threw off the, the garments of the synagogue, and he come running out of the synagogue, and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. Look, the kingly anointing is boldly activated in your life when we when we when we uh shed the religious garment of speaking Christian language and just serving well in the natural man. Amen. And so so Jairus managed the natural man and the spiritual man, and he saw a great uh in that. And look, by the way, the daughter represents desperation and the woman represents compassion. Here's what I mean by that. Jairus was desperate for a miracle in the natural man. I think about that. Um, but with the woman with the issue of blood, he wasn't nearly as desperate for her as he was for his own daughter. Why? Does that mean he doesn't want her to be healed? Of course not. But he's desperate because it's his daughter. It's his family. It's his only child. It's the child of his wife. It's their, she is their inheritance. And he's desperate. But the woman with the issue of blood, she was a miracle of compassion. I love it because think about this. Think about if you had the opportunity to completely gain Jesus's attention. And you met him out there in the streets in your town, and you had a dying child at home, and you said, Jesus, would you come to my house and heal my daughter? And Jesus said, yes, I'll go right now. And you, you were leading him by the hand to come heal your daughter. When suddenly along the way, you know somebody's going to do it. They interrupted Jesus, they touched him, and they got a miracle in the middle of the road, and it delayed his arrival at your house. He told you he was coming to your house, but somebody else intercepted, intervened, interrupted him, got a miracle from him, and it delayed his arrival at your house, and in that time, your daughter went from being dying to dead because of the delay. And yet Jairus had great compassion. If you study the passage, it's so interesting to me that Jesus was stirred with compassion for the woman, and, and Jairus, understanding Jesus' compassion, never seems to be alarmed at the fact that his daughter had gone from dying to dead, that his daughter had gone from being hopeful to without hope because of that delay. But the daughter represents desperation, and the woman represents compassion. 
See, there are some miracles in your life naturally that you're going to see because you're desperate. And look, don't feel badly because you have a greater level of desperation for your family than you do a stranger's family. It's completely natural. That's why we have two hinges. That's why we got the natural sphere and the spiritual fear sphere. But let compassion rule your heart for when God moves in the lives of others, even if it causes a delay for your own family. I don't know. Maybe I'm going the wrong direction tonight. Maybe I'm, I, I don't know. Um, uh, good evening. This is my Aunt Wilma. Had a good, had a great Wednesday night service. God is good. Amen. He's good right now. Amen. And so look, and so uh, the woman was, the woman of the issue of blood was a miracle of compassion. And so watch, the father was warring over his inheritance, and generations. Now, what I told you at the beginning was, we're going to look at three things that produce a tipping point for global awakening. What is that? We need to be reminded tonight that we've got a heavenly father that's warring over his inheritance. Come on. He's warring over his inheritance, and he's warring over generations. And he's looking for a people like Jairus who have their house in order, both naturally and spiritually, upon which those two hinges, the door of our lives, can swing wide open perfectly as it was designed for effective ministry and supernatural miracles. Come on, somebody, receive your miracle tonight in your natural man, in your body, in your mind, in your spirit. Receive a miracle of God tonight. Let faith rise up in your heart. How will I know when faith is on the increase in my life? I will know faith is on the increase in my life when I see my own actions demonstrating what I could not do before. That's faith. Jairus threw off the cloak, ran out of the synagogue. He was the ruler of it. He abandoned his post to take up a new position at the feet of Jesus because he was desperate. His baby needed a miracle of God. How many of y'all have a baby tonight that needs a miracle of God? How many of y'all have a son or a daughter tonight that needs a miracle of God? Friend, we have that, and we're going to pray for that. So look, secondly, is not only do we have a father pursuing, but we have a generation responding. There's so many people today who believe that America's lost because of the young people's unwillingness to commit. Now, let me tell you something. America's in the spiritual trouble that we are in, not because of a younger generation's failure to commit, but an older generation's guilt for compromise. See, the older always want to point to the younger and blame them because the younger are not doing, they're not interested in what we were interested in. But friend, most of them, all they've ever seen out of the church is compromise. So we want to blame the younger for a lack of commitment when they're pointing us out because we've got compromise in our lives. But what we begin to discover is the generation coming after any group of adults is a generation 
that's hungry and ready to respond to an authentic move of God, an authentic witness of God in the earth. This generation is ready to run into. Let me let me just tell you something. I'll, I'll be honest with you. The young generation may not be interested in your hymns. They may not be interested in our hymns. I, I could sing song right now, song after song after song after song after song that is deeply meaningful in my heart, but it would mean nothing to them. And, the, and, and that doesn't make them bad. It makes them uh, separated from my experience. If I sing, oh, the blood, you know it, you get it. Many of them may not, you know? I was coming down the road today singing a song, actually early this morning when I was on my way to the Y. Was I going to the Y? Because I got to manage my natural life well. But look, on my way to the Y, uh, I began to sing a song. My mother's played the piano all my life. She discipled my brothers and I sitting on a piano bench. And so on my way to the Y this morning, I began to sing. Many times in my childhood, we'd travel so far. By nightfall, how weary I'd grow. Father's arms would slip round me, and gently he'd say, My child, we're going home. And going home, going home. Yeah. So I would sing that. Sang it on my way to the Y early this morning. Why? And by the way, my father was never the, the type that slipped his arm around me. And, and I thought about that on the way to the Y that he never really slipped his arms around me and 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 I never felt exactly what that song portrayed in in a father but that's neither here nor there he he was an amazing man that was the perfect father for me um but but that's aside the point my point is we want to blame the young people for not being like we are friend look sometimes we label the young generation we we label them dysfunctional, but we label their dysfunction after the own by the the dysfunction of our own generation. So in this passage, we see a generation responding. You show me a generation of fathers and mothers, grandmas and grandpas, who are radically pursuing with bold generosity and complete surrender. What God is saying, do, do it, for crying out loud. You will reap manifold, manifold, untold blessings and multiplication in your life by radical obedience. But here's the thing. Many times we think that the young people are not interested. They're not going to get involved. They don't get it. They're not going to get it. Friend, here's the deal. If we can let them see an authentic move of God, and if we can take Jesus off of the pages of the Bible and out of our Sunday school lessons and out of the words of our old hymns and begin to demonstrate and display for them the things we once sang about, then the children will run into that, whether they want to or not. Look, Jairus, the natural father, was pursuing a miracle for his natural only child. Her situation went from bad to worse. She was dying. She was dead. That's going from bad to worse. 
Jairus never stopped believing. The mourners did. Jairus didn't. They got in the room with the girl. She was dead. But the word of the Lord was declared over her. And she sat up in the bed, brought back to life, and she was hungry. And her mother did what every mother does. I got to go downstairs and fix this baby something to eat. That's what mamas do. But my point is this. Jairus' generation, Jairus' inheritance responded to his faith, even though his inheritance was completely lifeless and dead. She still responded to the word of the Lord. So we find in this passage, a generation responded. The daughter never desired a miracle. The father desired one for her. The daughter never desired an encounter, but her father desired one for her. The daughter never desired uh, to be raised from the dead. Her father desired that for her. The daughter had no conscious thought of being in the inheritance of the blessing for her parents. The girl, 12 years old, is dead. But her father was warring over her as she lay in deadly silence. We've got a generation tonight that from your eyes may be laying in a lifeless, dead, unmoved, spiritual state. But this I can tell you. They have a heavenly father that's warring over his inheritance. And all he's doing is looking for somebody that will take a hand of a grieving father and go into a room and declare the word of the Lord over a lost generation. When that happens, the generation begins to come to life. Are you guys okay? Are you getting this? I mean, I feel it in my heart, but I don't know. I don't know that I'm really communicating it in a way that you can understand. Wow. My son needs salvation and a radical experience. Linda Liz says, I'm standing with you, Joyce, for a radical encounter for both your son and daughter in 2023 on fire for Jesus both of them. See, I love that right there. And Joyce, you know what you do? You're like Jairus. You take the hand of Linda, who's filled with the spirit of Jesus, and you take her hand and you say, look, my son, my daughter-in-law, they're in desperate need for an encounter. Will you come go with me? And Linda says, look, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. This is what I'm doing. Look, this is why I told you early on in this fast, that when we pray together, it creates the mystic fellowship that is the kingdom of God. So Joyce, you say to Linda or whoever, will, will you go with me? Will you agree with me? Linda or whoever it is, filled with the spirit of Jesus says, you know, Joyce, let's go. We'll go with you. We're going to agree together for your son. Supernatural encounter going to be raised from the dead, and your daughter-in-law is going to be healed, and God's going to begin to move in your family. Why? Because listen, guys, 
when when you live your life and I live mine, I don't carry around in my body a theological position I have to convince everybody else of. What I'm carrying around in my body and what Linda's carrying around in hers and Jennifer and Liz and everybody else on here, Gene and Wilma, everybody else, what you're carrying in your body is not a theological argument that you can debate with others. What you're carrying in your life is the Zoe fullness of the life of God by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And guess what? What we give out is not a theological statement or a philosophical belief or, or, or 10 reasons why God still heals today. Look, let me tell you something. If you just go in and release a miracle, you don't have to go through the whole 10 steps. If they see her get up out of the bed, that's one step. That's all I need. Just let me see her get up. That'll be enough for me. Is anybody getting this right now? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? The tipping point for global awakening is the realization in you that you're not carrying around a good idea of an ancient literature. What you're carrying around is the covenant promise of this literature that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and made, made powerful in your life by his own spirit that could not come, John 12, John 14, could not come until he was ascended at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? Right now, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for me and you to allow the miracles of God to flow through us rather than get on the phone and debate with somebody about whether or not miracles still happen. Miracles still happen or we're all dead. Was that too strong? It, it is, Deborah, you're right. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Joyce, don't fret over it. Don't fear over it. Don't worry about it. Linda and others on this call have already said to you, you know what, Joyce? We will agree with you. We're going to believe God for this. We're going to believe God for a dynamic encounter of the Holy Ghost with your son and daughter-in-law in 2023. Guess what? Let's go raise the dead. And don't worry over it. Don't fret over it. You don't have to go get 10,000 prophetic words. Okay, y'all got me? Are y'all all right? If you're not all right, it's probably not going to get much better. Mary says, agreeing with you, supernatural revelation leading to salvation and transformation in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So be it. By faith, we declare the word of the Lord. We speak the word of God over your situation, and we say, so be it in the name of Jesus. Look, right now, everybody, look, forget the message thing for a moment. Everybody lift up your hands right now. If you need a miracle of God in your family for 2023, just lift up your hands right now, wherever you are. If you're driving and, and listening to this, please don't lift up your hands. But if you're sitting in your living room or wherever you are in a safe location, lift your hands right now and receive the fire of God. You need to understand tonight, somebody needs to understand you're not just carrying around in your body, soul, and spirit. You're not just carrying around a few Bible verses that you remembered once upon a time, but you're carrying around in your body the very life of God by the power of the Holy Ghost 
through the provision of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I'm telling you. He is more than enough for your situation. So declare it over your situation. Declare his word over your situation. Stand firm and see the mighty salvation of the Lord fall out upon your family in the name of Jesus. So just lift your hands right now. Receive that in the name of Jesus. Right now, wherever you are, nobody can hear you. Or maybe your spouse is in the next room. Maybe they need to hear you praying in the spirit. Or maybe they need to hear you praying in the natural. I don't really care which way you pray. But if your heart is bowed before the Father in faith, and you have a spirit to... I I feel like Cindy Schrader. I feel like God's turning that situation around. I feel it in my spirit right now. I don't even know if Cindy's on here. She may be listening to this later. But here's what I want you to know. Cindy Schrader... The Spirit of God is going to turn the situation around with your husband in the name of Jesus. Look, some of y'all are fretting over a miracle rather than having faith for your miracle. No breakthrough comes because you fretted. You can fret in the most spiritual, compassionate way you possibly know how, but it doesn't mean the breakthrough is coming. God responds to faith, not to fretting. God declares to his word, not the fretting. Why? Because his word is rooted right there in the covenant promise of God that's recorded for us here from cover to cover, from the beginning to the end. The ancient of days has made his ways clear before us. And we've got a generation coming after us who's sick and tired of our lectures without love. they're sick and tired of our lectures without love. They're sick and tired of our liturgy without love. They're sick and tired of our traditions without love. They're sick and tired of our rituals without love. Look, the entire sacrament of the Lord's Supper, it's summed up in one word, friend. It's love. It's love. Every time you take, every time you eat a communion wafer, you are challenged by Almighty God to not only respond to his love, but examine your own life in the light of his love. I'm I'm telling you. Look, some of the things we've done in the church to the generation come after us is pure lunacy. It's pure lunacy. Why? Because it's not filled with love. Hey, you can teach it. You can teach somebody to. You can show a generation for decades that you can play a tambourine. But if you ain't got love, honey, they never will pick up a tramp a, a, a tambourine. Started to say trampoline, didn't it? <laughs> but you know what? It's the it's clanging noise without love. I, I believe that. It's clamoring. It's disgusting, right? We've seen it. When, when you see religious people, dogmatic, hard-headed, stubborn religious people that don't know how to love somebody else, I'm telling you right now, you just need to get away from those people. Because look, the, the generation coming after us, they don't care about our liturgy. 
without our love. And in this passage, Jairus was a pursuing father, and we see a generation responding. He was a father pursuing. And let me tell you something. Almighty God is the father tonight who's pursuing this generation. You can bet your sweet bippy, and I don't even know what a sweet bippy is, but you can bet it nonetheless that our heavenly father is radically pursuing a generation. And friend, tonight, I don't even think God is impressed with our liturgy without love. And the entire central message of the word of God and of every theological discourse and certainly the symbols of the holy sacrament of commune is, friend, this is love, and without love there is no gospel. Did I did I get that? Did, okay, y'all, I got uh, I got a little. Did I? Y'all got that? Y'all still with me? You still with me? Wow. Now y'all know when I was pastoring, we always took up the offering before I preached. All right. So look. Look, the daughter never knew she needed a miracle. And, and remember, Jairus saw two miracles, one in the natural realm, his own daughter, the other in the spiritual realm, a lady that was quarantined out of the synagogue because she was bleeding. And he was the ruler of the synagogue. So he saw a miracle in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm. And look, every one of us have those two same spheres of influence in our lives. And if you're not governing your natural man and your spirit man, if you're not governing those to be synchronized, then the door of your life can never swing on those hinges properly. Have you ever tried to open up a door that only had one hinge on it? That one hinge is missing or one hinge is out of alignment? Look, the door's not going to open properly. And many times people are frustrated why the doors of their life are not opening properly when they know in their own heart their natural man or their spiritual man is out of alignment. And so Jairus was a man who, who had those two areas in alignment in his life. And you may say, but look, I've got things going on in the natural man that I don't understand in the spirit. I understand that. Govern the natural man to the best of your knowledge. And sometimes we don't know everything. And I remember when we were teenagers, Jennifer and I heard at Mount Hope Camp in Flemingsburg, Kentucky, an old preacher who's dead and in heaven now, he said, you know what? When you don't know what to do in your natural life, sometimes you just got to good use good sanctified judgment. Look, God's not going to write everything for you on the wall with the tip of a fiery finger. Sometimes you have to make a decision. Sometimes you have to use good, sanctified judgment. That's what the natural man is all about. Jairus made a natural decision when his daughter was dying. And that is, I'm throwing this religious thing off of me, and I'm going to run out of this synagogue, and I'm going to throw myself at the feet of Jesus, and I'm going to beg him for a miracle for my baby, because my natural man is lost without my baby. The whole time, the daughter didn't even know she needed a miracle. And you know what? The woman with the issue of blood, she didn't think she deserved one. Whew. 
Let me ask you this. When was the last time your desperation drove you to do something for the first time? When was the last time your desperation drove you to do something for the first time? When was the last time your desperation, your hunger drove you to do something for the first time? The Father pursuing, the generation responding, and the Lord imparting. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, release your Holy Spirit on this call. I ask you, Father, establish right now the mystic fellowship of the Holy Ghost that occurs when your people pray. I'm in this room alone, but I'm not. You may be in your room alone, but you're not. See, the Bible says that when any two gather together in his name, he's there in the midst of them. And friend, he's not restricted by time, space, distance, or these walls. Jesus didn't say, if all of you are in the same room, all of you are in the same house, any two or three of you, I'm going to be there. We are gathered together in the name of Jesus. He's here in the midst of us. This is a mystic fellowship. And guess what else? There's a cloud of witnesses surrounding us right now. So you may be alone right where you are, but you're not. You may feel isolated and alone right now where you are, but you are not. You can be lonely, but you're not alone. And so I want to encourage you right now. Receive right now in the name of Jesus. I pray something I said. Every time I get on, I think, man, I don't know if I've got one thing to say. I, I don't know. Five minutes before I got on here tonight, I feel like, I don't know if I've got one thing to say. It seems like every day, all day long, I'm moving in this king-priest anointing, man. You know, for a little bit, I'm doing priestly stuff and ministering. Then I'm building a business. I'm doing kingly stuff. I'm moving in the natural and in the spirit. I'm moving in both. Why? Because God has released a king priest anointing for you to be successful and thrive in the Zoe life of God in this time. The Father received that. Every person that hears, watches, listens to, or happens upon this broadcast. And tonight, Lord, we take the sacrament of the bread and we thank you, Jesus, that it represents your body. And it reminds us of your covenant promise 
that you have married yourself to for eternity and will not break it. So when we declare your word over a situation, it is done in Jesus' name. Says so pretty strong, Rick. Okay. But Jesus said, if any two of you shall agree as touching anything, it shall be done. So if you don't like my words, take it up with his word. Because he's given us permission to decree his word in our day and attach his name to it. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we take this bread in Jesus' name. Jesus passed the cup, blessed it, gave it to the disciples, told them to drink all of it. it. Represents the blood of his new covenant, the blood of his new testament. Jesus said, drink all of it. Do it in remembrance of me. Why? It's life-giving. It's full of life sources and resources. It breaks off fear. And it releases healing in your body in the name of Jesus. Let's take this. And the tender kiss of his love for each of us touch our hearts and releases a freshness of his acceptance of us. Wow. I love that, Graham. My uh, our aunt Nell Vaughn, <laughs> she said he's always with me. I know he is. I know he is. I love that girl right there. Wow, um, you sure put out some gold nuggets tonight, Rick. Thank you, thank you, Marilyn. Jennifer says thank God for that cloud of witnesses, and I need them. Joy said, I, yes, I felt my angels also touch me at different times. It was awesome. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Elizabeth said, yes, we are with you. Whew, thank you. Because I, I wasn't really sure. I wasn't really sure. But, you know, it was Ian Bounds who said, preaching is not the performance of an hour, but it's the outflow of a life. I don't know how to do this other than to live my life the best I can, record his encounters in my journals, and seek to preach his word all the days of my life. And we're going to be doing some big things this year and breakthroughs coming. I declare it tonight over all that he's called us to do and over all he's called you to do. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Tomorrow night, we're gonna to be talking about the King Priest anointing. So be sure, join us right here tomorrow night. Thank you for being here so much. We love you guys, every one of you, from our home to yours. May God just richly bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful night. See you guys.